Shrink Wrap Radio number 814, Michael Mayer, Ph.D., on the path of a reluctant metaphysician. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrink Wrap Radio. You're on the couch again with Dr. Dave. And Shrink Wrap Radio is playing on again. Shrink Rap Radio. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave. My guest today is Michael Mayer, PhD, longtime friend, licensed psychologist, and Qigong and Tai Chi teacher who specializes in giving his patients self-healing methods for health problems. His most recent Ben Franklin Award-winning book is The Path of a Reluctant Metaphysician, Stories and Practices for Troubled Times, Michael's guiding image of two streams becoming one guides him as he joins East and West, mind and body, as well as ancient and modern in his work. Now... Here's the interview. Dr. Michael Mayer, welcome to Shrink Back. Welcome back, I should say, to Shrink Wrap Radio. Yeah, I've been here twice before. It's great to be back. Yeah, your account agrees with mine. I, I had to go back and take a look. And I was interested to see that you were on uh, in 2006 on episode number 41 Body Mind Healing with Qigong. And then in 2007, on episode 96, discussing body-mind healing psychotherapy. And doing the math, I, I, I realized I had just started. I mean, you're number 40. You're one of the very first people that I interviewed. And um, I was 66. So looking back, I'm kind of proud that I undertook this whole technological venture at 66 years of age. I'm kind of proud of that. And and um, and our interview, our discussion today is number eight hundred and fourteen, and that doesn't count the Wise Counsel podcasts that I did, which are probably another more than a hundred. So, um, so it's around a thousand. So, <laughs> so congratulations! It's good. That's great for all to, for all the people you've been able to reach. Yeah, That's, thank you, thank you. And it's been great for me to. Uh, to have that experience and the opportunity to touch uh, touch minds and hearts and souls with the people that I'm interviewing. Um, so we're going to be discussing your book, The Path of, the, of a Reluctant Metaphysician, Stories and Practices for Troubled Times. And uh, uh, we've known each other uh, in real time for a number of years. I discovered so much in reading this book, though, about your journey 
that I didn't know. And uh, I'm embarrassed that I didn't know it. <laughs> of course, I don't know how I could have known it. We we really didn't spend that much time with each other, you know, a, a few occasions. So your journey, as you lay it out in this book, is really fascinating to me. And um, the book's been out for a while. Actually, I, I started reading it without realizing that and started thinking about the interview. And then I... I saw, oh my goodness, this book actually was written in 2012. That's 10 years ago. And yet, it seemed totally up-to-date and contemporary and, 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 and full of wisdom. And I guess that's the thing about coming from wisdom <laughs> is that it doesn't get dated. It's, <laughs> uh, it's hopefully eternal. Yeah, hopefully eternal, right. And so... I know that you're eager to uh, to talk about the new stuff in your career, which is a, a new website that you've put together. So I promise that uh, after we go through some life review here in your book, uh, we'll end up there and you'll have a chance to, uh, to bring us all up to date on your, your most recent stuff. Uh, at the outset, you're... Your book uh, talks about the importance of story. And then some 300 pages later, you end with the importance of story. Uh, so I think I should ask you, you know, and you know I'm going to be on the same page with much of what you've written, but so I'll ask you dumb questions anyway, even though I have a sense of, of the answer. Why is story so central? What's the importance of story? Well, it's so important in different spheres. Um, I like to say that stories are the spiritual bones of our lives. It's what uh, lasts after we die. Wow, I like that. So from perspective of our own spiritual journey, all of us are going to be known by our stories. So, well, hopefully, hopefully there'll be somebody around to, to tell our stories, or we will have written them down. Well, that's why I wrote my book as a meta book to inspire other people to do the same. Uh -huh. So they will tell their stories in, in a way similar to what I've done. And then other, other people will be able to take a look at their life stories. But I've woven my, my stories. Uh, it's not just on a spiritual level. I basically talk about how in my psychotherapy practice that I teach people how to do the mythic journey process when it's appropriate and how telling a story can help to change the way they hold their own life stance. Yeah, so a story is, story is part of healing and that's why your book ends with that, I think, because it's, it's, um, it's a reminder that... Uh, that each of our stories are important and that they can help get us through troubled times as a subtitle. The, the exactly. subtitle talks about troubled times. And boy, if they were troubled 10 years ago, you should see them now. <laughs> it's not a lot well, different, just more so. Well, let's think about in terms of psychotherapy first, that basically, the, the, if you think about cognitive restructuring, we all have a story that can shame us make us feel guilty or awful, or the way we change that story changes everything. 
and yeah. we can have a whole new way of looking at ourselves by telling our story in a different way. I tell what you were just talking about in terms of current stories, we're all hypnotized by stories. So right now we're in story wars. So the um, Trumpian stories, if you look at and listen to right-wing um, broadcasts, there's a story there, which is totally different than left uh, uh, than the left stories. Yeah, yeah. And so I like to joke around uh, with my friend saying that I figured out the answer to uh, solving all the problems of the battle between left and right. Yeah. All we need, all, yeah, it's very simple. All we need to do is to have a license to watch the news because it's a dangerous activity. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So that we're told we can get captivated on it. So just like you need a license to drive a car, in my opinion, you, and this is facetious, of course, yeah. you should have a license to look at the news to be able to have critical thinking to know when distraction tactics are being used and when other kinds of tactics are being used that get away from the point or uh, tell it in a way that is uh, not in tune with truth. Right. But my book is more about the metaphor. So I have a whole section on the politics of it. And now it's more relevant than ever because of the way that stories have taken over our lives. Yeah. Well, so, you're... you're- your story starts in New York, so let's yeah. back way up. Tell us about your. Uh, let's start in New York and uh, and the family you were born into. What sort of family were you born into? Were they all psychotherapists or or my healers? Father an, my father was an attorney, and uh, my mother was an awesome, loving uh, housewife until after I left school, uh, left home, and went to school. And then she went to school herself and completed her college education. And my father wanted me to be an attorney. And so in the book, I tell the story of my experience with him. And I was all ready to go to George Washington Law School. And um, I decided instead to be a psychologist. And my father was very disappointed. And I said, don't worry, Dad. I'm going to still be a lawyer, but I'm going to be a lawyer for the body body, mind, and spirit. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't that case with him. Yeah, yeah. But um, then that's what I've been doing with my life is essentially uh, taking a lot of the sacred wisdom traditions and arguing the case for them. Yes. Good. And that's good. when I go into yeah. various different pursuits, you know, at a time when... Um, the mental uh, element in mind-body healing wasn't that uh, accepted. I was arguing at medical schools for the importance of the mind in healing. And then when I got into astrology, I reformed the way of looking at astrology in a way that was palatable even to skeptics, so that the president of the skeptics society uh, went along with what I was saying. And then when I got into Qigong and when I got into Tai Chi. So I've gone into various different metaphysical arts. And then before there was a lot of research on Tai Chi and Qigong, I was going to various different uh, hospitals and other places and making presentations about the value of it and giving my peer-reviewed research on it. So wherever I go, 
I'm basically trying to be a lawyer for the body, mind, and spirit. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you describe yourself in the title as a reluctant metaph- metaphysician. Uh, what's the, what was the reluctance part? Well, the path that I've taken isn't as viable as it would have been economically, for example, for me to be an attorney. And it would have been nice to just be at home, you know, back with my parents and getting taken care of or whatever. And so there are many things in life that happen to us reluctantly. But out of the reluctance of basically, um, you know, having an illness or having a breakup in relationship or whatever happens in our life, the truth from the ego's perspective is that reluctantly we get abducted at those moments into the world of spirit. I say the world beyond the world. So, for example, if you have a blockage in your uh, body, uh, you don't want it to be there. But reluctantly, you have to go out and learn about it. So I went to um, acupressure school and got a degree in acupressure so I can, ooh, wow, I have some tension there. I can rub it, and then I can pass that on to my patients by using the circle stop feel method and never touching my patients, I can teach them how to move their energy. So we're using a word about Tai Chi or Qigong, I can teach people how to be moving their energy through their body when they're blocked. So that when they have insomnia, chronic pain, Parkinson's, many other things, um, from my having been abducted by uh, the metaphysical arts when I didn't want to be, um, I've been on the path of a wounded healer like many people are but the thing that my book adds is I've gone very deeply into and say that the purpose of those traumas difficulties that we go through are there to initiate us into the path of being a metaphysician of looking at the world behind the world and learning ways of activating our energies the stories that come from our ancestors, breathing methods, self-touch methods, uh, all of those kinds of things are methods that have been kept by our ancestors that are passed down to our generation. Right. And we are being forced, in quotes, reluctantly when we have breakups, uh, illnesses, or whatever in life to be initiated into the path of the reluctant metaphysician. Yeah, and you've moved the story ahead considerably. Uh, you did make reference to doing uh, teaching clients about the journey of the hero, and uh, and and that story goes that the the hero is reluctant. Something happens that the hero gets a call to adventure, according yes. according to Joseph Campbell, and he may answer the call or not, and if he if he ignores it, it's to his peril. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy if he answers it. Uh, so what was your hero's journey call? Is there, is there an event or a person uh, or a moment that stands out? And maybe there, maybe there were many. I think for you there were multiple calls. Yes. Uh, but let's start at the beginning. What's the initial call, would you say? Well, like you said, I, I go through many of those stories uh, in my book. Um, 
One of them uh, was um, after I had graduated from um, my master's program, I was getting ready to teach a um, to teach my first class, and um, I was very dependent on my notes. And, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> and one day on the bus up to my first class to teach, I lost my notes. Oh, and wow, well, this is the end of my life. You know, I don't <clears throat> I don't know how I can teach without that. And so I had a panic attack. And I tried using a lot of the methods that I had learned in my psychology program for panic and they weren't working. And so then I remembered this uh, book that I just read. Uh, picked up at uh, Samuel Weiser's bookstore in New York called The Secret of the Golden Flower. Uh, and there it teaches a microcosmic orbit breathing method of how to sink your chi on your out-breath and to pause and to ground yourself. And so I did that and I recognized that there was something in these Eastern methods that was a hero's call that I needed to learn more about. Uh-huh. And um, my class um, that day, I had to go in and let go. And I wasn't very much of a letting go kind of kind of guy. <laughs> and so uh, the feedback I got from the class is they joked around with me and said, hey, you should forget your notes every day. This is the best class that you've ever done. <laughs> Great. I was totally reliant on my mind and my notes, and that yeah. was very validating to recognize that in letting go, there was something there inside of me that was deeper than my knowledge. Yes, and so yes. That initiated me into the zeitgeist of the day of all the things of having to do with letting go that Ram Das and other people were talking about and wanting to find more about it. And so I did a journey to the, in the quest to the West. And I to California, right? You came to California, yeah. The quest of the West, right? Right, exactly. And there were programs here where I could study that kind of thing, whereas on the East Coast at that time, that was not available. Yeah, yeah. Just to uh, to put a date, give us a sense of date. What year did you come to California? Uh, it was nineteen seventy-two. Okay. Okay. And um, so, yeah, that was a, that was a time of um, when California was a hotbed of uh, new openings, experimental approaches to psychotherapy, to to uh, being aware of the body and, and all. And so that led to uh, well, how did you get introduced to Tai Chi and Qigong? Mm-hmm. Well, when I was in my doctoral program, I was, again, in my head, and it was really stressful. My neck was going out of joint and everything. And one day, I was walking in the woods and saw somebody moving. I said, wow, if I can move like that, you know, I'm moving like this all the time. If I can move like that, and I didn't know at the time it was called reeling silk. And so I did a quest around Cal- around the Bay Area and went studied with quite a few different teachers, but I found my major Sifu, whose name was Master Fang Ha, and I really liked his, he had excellent credentials. He had studied with the Grand Master of the tradition of the Yang style, 
And um, so I studied with him for 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. You have great, great staying power. I must say, I'm really impressed by that. And and I uh, because you in the book you recount kind of the lineage of masters that you've studied with, and uh, and and your forty years with this one master puts me in mind of one of the favorite sets of stories in uh, in the book to me, which was the standing qigong practice that this master insisted. <laughs> Tell us that story. I, well, he said that standing meditation uh, was the key to Qigong. But I didn't want to stand. You know, I wanted to do these beautiful movements that he was doing. And I didn't want to waste my time with standing. And so, you know, in later years, he said that before he would teach you any movement at all, you had to stand for 100 hours. But, you know, when I was studying with him, he just insisted that I do the standing meditation. And when I did it, um, initially I didn't like it because I started feeling all kinds of blocks in my body. And what I realized from my own psychological training, as well as from what he was saying, is that by being still, it activates the blocks in your body. And then by being still with it, you learn how the energy will open. And then pretty soon you go through there. Remember when I was coming from New York, I was doing microcosmic orbit breathing practice. Right. So it was very similar, but it was doing it standing, which is a deeper level of the training. And so then you go into a place that is a place of bliss, and you never want to go out of it. And so he brought over some of the greatest masters from China and that were standing meditation masters. And we got a chance, rather than having to go and travel to China, to study with Han Sing Wen, was one. And he was a master of the greatest known master of standing meditation named Wang Han Chai. These are all names, so, you know, American audiences aren't going to appreciate the depth of what these people held. But I learned various different ways to, and then where I carry it later is to change your life stance. Right. So my contribution that I want to psychology to make is the metaphor and the reality of how psychotherapy is changing your life stance. So back to your question about standing meditation. So when I was standing, my life stance was my neck was out and I was all constricted. And I said, well, I can work through all this psychologically, but I couldn't. So then pretty soon when you're in these various postures, your whole body starts to transform, and it literally changes your life stance. So then my work became, how can I introduce my psychotherapy patients to that without even necessarily having them do standing meditation? Uh-huh. I, I loved uh, the part where you talked about your resistance and the pain that was involved initially in doing it and how much you hated it. But then it transforms and it flips, which of course is a wonderful, a, a wonderful story and a wonderful uh, metaphor for all of us. Um, what is the uh, since you've talked about both Tai Chi and Qigong? Uh, what is the difference between the two? 
So Tai Chi is probably the best known system of Qigong. So there might be over a thousand different systems of Qigong. And actually, many households in China have their own system. Huh. So Qigong just means cultivating the energy, moving the energy of life through movement, stillness, uh, imagination, sound. And all those ways are ways to move the energy of life. You know, okay. most of us, when our energy is stuck and we feel depressed or whatever, we think about going for a run or distracting ourselves, maybe psychotherapy. But actually think about the fact that there's a 2,000-year-old, or actually longer than that, your old tradition that basically is about cultivating that energy. Tai Chi is the best-known system of it, and it's a choreographed system of depending upon which style you're doing, of yeah. maybe 108 different movements. Yeah. So most people, uh, Westerners, don't have the patience to go through the whole Tai Chi set because that curriculum is extensive. So it's 108 movements on the right side, 108 movements on the left side, various different other Qigong practices, yeah. Yeah. two-person practices where you learn how to defend yourself, and so it's a very, very extensive tradition. Most people that are Westerners will just want to do the Qigong movement. So I have a set that's both the Tai Chi set, which I have on my new website, uh, that you can get without even coming to classes, that you can get uh, through um, online Zoom. And then there's my Qigong set, which I call Body, Mind, Healing Qigong. So... All of them are systems of Qigong, and there's medical Qigong, there's self-defense Qigong, uh, there are all kinds of different systems of Qigong, and that's why I needed 40 years to study, not just with Master Ha, but many other uh, masters that I was uh, blessed to have uh, studied with, and my greatest joy is turning my patients, friends, and anybody that I meet that's open to it to seeing how that will affect their life in the place that hurts most or where they most need it. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Um, as, as you mentioned, this has affected your therapy, your practice as a therapist, and you actually have uh, some case examples in the book. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, which I thought was wonderful, you know, always looking not only for stories, but for actual case examples. Maybe there's one that you could share with us here uh, that's near and dear to your heart. <laughs> sure. Well, everyone that I tell in the book is really near and dear to my heart. But let's say, since going along with the idea that psychotherapy is changing your life stance, and remember that I am really uh, have this background in wanting to convince other people and being a lawyer for the body, mind, and spirit, yeah. That basically you can change your life stance even without doing Tai Chi and Qigong. So something that kind of goes along with that is that I had a Tai Chi student um, who basically uh, wanted to end his uh, Tai Chi. And he did a little bit of standing meditation with me and then came in and wanted to do therapy with me. So uh, we terminated the Tai Chi relationship. And what I learned is that he had a very major um, uh, 
social phobia. He never knew that when he was my Tai Chi student. And uh, he was going to college, and um, he was afraid to be going to college almost in terms and could hardly go to classes because he'd be shaking, particularly whenever he was around somebody that was, you know, bigger than him or whatever. And so um, with doing a psychological regression with him, we went back into his body and we found that uh, he was severely abused by his brother. And so we worked with that and uh, with what I call the river of life method, where you have your chi go down to the place in your own block. And then um, we did various work on that together. And um, he realized that he wasn't in his own power with his brother, that he was always criticized with him, and it was really always collapsed. And so um, we worked with how to open that energetically. And um, the methods that I used with him may be a little bit different than what I use today. Nowadays, I use various energy psychology methods where you do tapping here to get your power and your ground. But even with what I did with him, he was eventually able to work through and transmit that blockage. And then one day, his brother came back from college and said to him, hey, punk, you know, you want to, uh, let's do anything. I wonder if you've actually improved anything that, that you've done in your life or whether I'm still better than you at everything. Come on, let's <laughs> play some one-to-one basketball. Or have you improved that way, college boy? And so uh, I, my uh, patient just looked him in the eye and said, you know something? You're not better than me at everything. And he said, well, what are you talking about? Come on, let's go and play some, you know, some uh, basketball or whatever. N- name any sport, whatever. Name anything. I'm better than you at everything. He said, no, you're not better than me at everything. You're not better at being a kind brother. Uh-huh. And when he said that, the way he told me the story is that at that moment, his chi sunk and he felt himself in his belly and in his power that way. And his brother, he could see the flush on his brother's face in that moment of silence. And so that's why I like to say that you can do qigong and find your stance without ever um, doing a, a qigong movement. Because he found that by just breathing out and going down to his belly and the psychotherapy work that he did, he found that stance. Yeah, yeah. Well, wonderful. That's a, that's a good case story. Um, to, to kind of wrap up the book part of it, um, uh, your subtitle, as I said before, mentions troubled times, and we're really in troubled times, and I was struck by the things you listed, you said there's a war on healers, the American culture and the environment, and then you, you go on and, and you list culture wars, war on our economy, war on healers, war on psychotherapists, war on plant medicines, war on the environment, and of course this is before any of us had ever knew anything about Donald Trump. <laughs> and, um, and so now... we. Added to all of that, as if that were not totally enough, we're also dealing with the pandemic. 
I don't think it's all gone away. Uh, we don't know what might be following on, on in its wake. And um, so it seems to me that what you recommend is a kind of developing a kind of equanimity, if you will. You, you write, the solution is listening to stories with our hearts. Yes, uh, it's not just with our hearts, though, but yes, that's so important. In other words, behind somebody's, let's say, political arguments is that there is a certain kind of fear and suffering there. And very often we argue about information and we don't get the pain that's behind that other person's, in quotes, argument. Yeah. That they're afraid of immigrants because they're afraid that their past um, white world is going to be taken away from them, their places of privilege. So rather than arguing them and showing them how biased and racist they are, if we can really go into the pain behind anybody's story, that's one of the real keys to really good listening. And psychotherapists are trained in that, but even us, at moments when we're involved with things that are potentially life-destructive, you know, uh, sometimes we forget that. So whether it's a therapist or anybody, to really hear what's behind. Again, that's the world behind the world. There's a world of argument, and then there's the world under this, under the, um, the intellectual argument of what kind of pain is really fueling that argument for the other person, and how much can we meet there, soul to soul, about what's really going in in our psyches that's underlying what's happening on the surface of life. I think in the case of of the pandemic and uh, and the climate and so on, some of these things are not necessarily about another person as much as they are about dealing with our own mortality and fear and attachment to existence as we know it. Yes. And uh, so I pick up in your in your writing and what you've just said that. That you believe that there's a there's a world behind this world or beyond this world. Um, I don't know if you have big theories about what it is, but that you feel like there is something more, and and to cling to that. Well, that's what the whole book is about. Um, and basically, the world behind the world doesn't need to be something very esoteric, uh, but it is, and it isn't. In other words, our dreams give us messages, and that's a world behind the world. Mm -hmm. And I show how dreams in my life have altered the course of my life. But if you think about life as a dream, and that anything that you're seeing in your everyday life, picture that as a dream, and if you had conscious ability to change the dream, how would you go about doing that? So it's not just um, dreams that are the world behind the world, but there's energies that are behind the world. Uh, there are listening to your ancestral voices in prayer. And so it's, you know, hearing, it's essentially being co uh, connected to your own ancestral and collective unconscious, which is behind the world of the ego and being in touch. I don't know, most people um, or have a time of the day. Like, for example, when I wake up in the morning, I can be stuck on something uh, the day before. And all of a sudden, it's very specific. Wow, I need to be doing this. 
So our own unconscious is the world behind the world, and we wouldn't want to say that that's God, whatever name we want to give it, that we're always listening to a voice that's deeper than the voice of the ego. Carl Jung called it the self with a capital S. Right. And so part of the way to get to that deeper voice is by doing these Taoist practices of sinking your chi so that the uptightness when your mind is in a place of sympathetic nervous system overactivation and reactivating a trauma or just not being in your higher mind, essentially Tai Chi and Qigong and all the practices that are taught in transpersonal and other forms of psychotherapy are a way to access that world behind the world. So another way to access the world behind the world is through your new website. Yes. Uh, so tell us, uh, tell us what will people find there? What, what motivated it, and mm-hmm. what are what are the treasures and riches to be discovered there? Thank you for asking. So uh, most of you may know that I had a website called BodyMindHealing.com for many years. And so I wanted to separate it out, the Tai Chi and Qigong stuff, even though the Tai Chi and Qigong is on BodyMindHealing.com. I wanted to create a new website that would just be uh, for the Tai Chi and Qigong part of me, which is BodyMindHealing-Tai Chi, T-A-I-C-H-I, Qigong, Q-I-G-O-N-G.com. And the major motivation for doing this is during COVID, always wanting to turn lemons into lemonade. Uh, Basically, um, I wasn't able to have all my students, uh, you know, uh, in my classes. I had to give up one of my classes, you know, at um, uh, at a local place where I was teaching. And so I taught out of my house and did it on Zoom. And so I was a little bit upset about that, uh, but reluctantly I said, well, I need to make my make the best out of this. And what I did is started recording those classes with my students, the good part of it. Very often things that we have that look like disasters turn into great things in our life. And so I was able to have students from around the country that I could never have before being on Zoom every Saturday. So I decided to record the classes. And so I took the 40 years of training that I've had and put it into a 20-video series. And that's the major feature of the site, where basically what I'm doing is integrating ancient wisdom traditions with and modern psychology with Tai Chi and Qigong. So I'm teaching this in a very integrative way of bringing in these ancient wisdom traditions in my teaching of Tai Chi in these uh, 20 different classes, both the Tai Chi as well as the Qigong. And for people that have been practicing for a long time, what they love about it is that very often people will have a favorite movement. They'll say, I don't have time to listen to the whole thing, but wow, this movement that you have, a white snake, snake sticks out its tongue. I've always wondered about that. I wonder what that's all about. And so I'll tell the four dimensions of purpose of this. Self-healing, spiritual unfoldment, self-defense, and changing your life stance psychologically. And so on almost all the movements, I go into that. Uh-huh. And so I say that white, cranes, white snake sticks out its tongue is a movement in Tai Chi. And what this does is this is speaking truth to power. 
So when you're coming, most people that are doing Tai Chi don't look at the psychological meanings of the movements. So I take all the movements, and for, I've been trained very classically, so I'll show the self-defense applications, the healing purposes. So, for example, this stretches the pericardium meridian and opens up the heart. So when you're speaking truth to power, you need to come from your belly, through your heart, and this is your laogong point in your palm. So I take the 108 movements of Tai Chi and go through all of those in a really beautifully put together series. And for people who don't have time for the whole series in our busy world, that don't want to go through my, what I've learned in these 40 years, they can say, wow, I'm really interested. And they can, they can just look up their favorite movement in Tai Chi and say, well, I, I do commencement. You know, that's just the first movement in the set. So this movement teaches you how to sink your chi and to reverse your fear response. So this adds something to the trauma literature and becomes a leading edge method that goes along with all of the literature on trauma uh, treatment that a lot of people are knowing that their amygdala gets triggered when they're in trauma. And this teaches you to sink your chi by having a long out-breath and a long pause after your out-breath. And that came from my training from The Secret of the Golden Flower. But now it's brought into standing meditation as well as into Tai Chi. And sometimes with my patients, I'll introduce these movements. And so in a certain sense, this is an encyclopedia of Tai Chi and Qigong that goes back. And like I get a lot of referrals nowadays from UCSF from their neurology department. And I have people that have Parkinson's disease. And so they'll be shaking like this. And many of them can learn how to stop the shaking temporarily. It's very important to distinguish between curing and healing. So this gives people that have major physiological disorders a sense of agency that they can begin to do something that can affect and enter into a spiritual relationship with whatever they have. And at the integrated medical clinic that I co-founded where I worked for 10 years, I would apply these things and bring them to people who would have chronic pain, insomnia, and various different disorders. And now people can just go onto my website and get this, call it an encyclopedia, in uh, 19 classes. And so that's what I was doing during COVID times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I believe there are also some free resources uh, on that site, right? Yes. Thanks for asking. Yeah. There's loads of free articles, uh, videos, audios. So the first class is for free. And I have Tai Chi Ruler, which is a very ancient longevity uh, technique that's free on the website on the front page. It was given by a Taoist master to the emperor and was kept very secret around the time of the 10th century um, AD. And so I give people that method to really help with letting go of pain. And so there's all kinds of articles and uh, videos and other things that people wow. can see for free. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, you know, the book is kind of an encyclopedia of, of wisdom. And uh, this website also is an encyclopedia of wisdom. Um, so it just sounds so rich. 
and uh, uh, <clears throat> and we should all be grateful <laughs> for for what you've done that you're giving away uh, all of this this in- helpful information and I like the distinction I would like to come to the distinction that you just made between a cure and healing and uh, you know what I've come to realize is that the disease may not get cured but our relationship to it or there's a kind of psychological soul healing that Mm -hmm. can come about yes uh, with some of my Parkinson's patients, I like to joke around and say, um, you have your sense of humor. Look at that. That's great. That shows you that uh, you have Parkinson's, but Parkinson's doesn't have you. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I like to say that with almost everything that we have, the issue is how we activate our own observing self. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the distinction between healing and curing. It may be that what we have physically um, doesn't go away, but we can have a relationship to it rather than being dragged down by it. Yeah, and would you say that's also true of uh, psycho- psychological problems, issues? That's why mindfulness is so uh, popular nowadays, is that mindfulness practice, and my major practice, uh, it's called Yichuan Qigong, is a mindfulness type of practice that is in the Chinese vein. But basically that's to develop your observing self so that instead of being, you know, it it kind of goes back to Roberto Sagioli's idea that we can have feelings, we can have thoughts, and we can have sensations. But we are not those things. Well, then who are we if we're not our feelings, our thoughts, and our sensations? Well, we are that which observes all of those things. Right. So in the interface between a psychosynthesis and mindfulness practice, the Qigong is a way to develop a somatic center line in your observing self. So every form of meditation is state-specific. Each has its own blessings. And so the Tai Chi and Qigong methods have its own addition to meditation that mindfulness doesn't and vice versa. And so each of these, I like to look at them as a mandala. You have all of these mandalas in a circle and that we choose from which one we need at a given moment when we need them. Well, I think that's a wonderful wrap-up, Michael. Is there anything else that you haven't had a chance to say that you want to say here? Uh, just that I love contact from people, and if you have a given um, uh, thing that you've learned from my book or any of my uh, free products or whatever, and you just want to be in touch, my email address is drmichael at bodymindhealing.com. Uh, David will share that with you on his website, so you'll have that uh, email address. Feel free to drop me a line, ask follow-up questions. I love questions, and I love to uh, be there for people's uh, healing to help to further you on your path. Well, that's very generous, and uh, you're reminding me that I am going to put... Uh, you've got a whole bunch of websites, and we realize that people wouldn't be able to follow it if we just gave them all verbally here. So they will be in the show notes. So go to the show notes at shrinkwrapradio.com uh, to, uh, to review 
this interview and to uh, find those those links. So, uh, Dr. Longtime Friend, uh, I want to thank you, Dr. Michael Mayer, for being my guest again today on Shrinkwrap Radio. Thank you so much for having me, David, and for your awesome interviewing skills. You're bringing uh, great information to people. I really appreciate it. All the great interviews you've done. Thank you. My return guest today, Michael Mayer, Ph.D., and I have traveled in more or less the same circles of those studying teaching and practicing humanistic and transpersonal psychology during the 1960s and since. We had a number of friends in common, and so it happened that in the early days of Shrinkwrap Radio, I invited him to be on the show. Thus, he was my guest in 2016 on episode number 41, Body Mind Healing with Qigong, and then in 2007 on episode number 96, discussing the Body Mind Healing Psychotherapy. I also took a weekend workshop that he taught. As a result of these contacts, we became friends, but not spend substantial amounts of time together, given that he was living in the East Bay and I in the North Bay, and we were each preoccupied with our own careers. For this third interview, 17 years later, we decided to focus on his most recent book, The Path of a Reluctant Metaphysician, Stories and Practices for Troubled Times, and then to talk about his new website. Initially, I didn't realize that his new book was published in 2012. Even though that book was published 10 years ago, let me rush to say it is very wonderful and in no way feels out of date. Essentially, it's a book describing his life's journey and the accumulated wisdom of his 40 years of seeking and professional life up to that point. I was shocked to learn how little I knew of my friend's journey. Yes, I knew him to be ardent about Tai Chi and Qigong, but more than being ardent, I realized I was reading the book of a man whose journey had transformed him into a wise man. Reading his book in preparation for our interview, I began to feel a bit intimidated. I found solace in a section late in the book where he poses the question, quote, When you meet with remarkable people and traditions, how should you approach such encounters? Each person who we meet and with whom we feel a strong resonance, and particularly those we meet through synchronistic circumstances, embody some essential quality that can be woven into the spiritual garment of our lives. So to hold these meetings as divine gifts is the approach of approaches. To meetings with remarkable people and traditions, we can absorb their ways of being, but at the same time, we need to be aware that we each have our unique ways, our own garment in which we are weaving their essential qualities into our own quilt. Close quote. One of my shortcomings has been a resistance to humbling myself before an intimidating presence to become an acolyte or apprentice. I tend to blame it on unresolved father issues. But is it really a shortcoming or a strength? As Michael suggests, 
it's important to remind myself that it is a part of me not to be judged as much as accepted and woven into my own unique quilt. If you read his book, and I hope you will, you'll discover that Michael had the good fortune to discover living masters of Tai Chi and Qigong and the humility to absorb their wisdom into his own way of being. His writing is clear and deep and taps deeply into the power of story, his own and those of others. Here's a passage that rings for me with such clarity. Quote, Our personal dreams, visions, and songs are not our own. We are like canaries in the dark coal mine of our culture. The messages we carry from the world behind the world not only give warnings about the way we are living, but they also give solutions for curing our personal and cultural troubled times, close quote. And here's one more sample of his writing, quote, So the dreams that I have shared with you of my two streams becoming one are not my dreams. Our culture is joining streams of healing traditions to enter into a new world in the joining of creative movement traditions, integrative medicine, and indigenous Eastern and Western traditions, a better amalgam is being forged. Close quote. Michael's attorney father had wanted Michael to follow his footsteps into a safe and lucrative career in the law. Michael's rejoinder then and now is that he is in fact a sort of attorney for the world behind the world, arguing the research-based legitimacy of Tai Chi and Qigong, as well as energy psychotherapy, dream work, mindfulness, and more. Michael is a hopeful optimist, but not in denial of the challenges we all face. For example, in his book, he lists culture wars, war on our economy, war on healers, war on psychotherapists, war on plant medicines, war on the environment, and to that list, we must add the pandemics. He suggests that in the face of these challenges, we can find equanimity by putting into practice the various wisdom strategies outlined in his book to find that centered place in our body-mind. Michael extends an invitation to all to join him online in the practice of Tai Chi and Qigong on Zoom through his new website, which is www.bodymindhealing-taichigong.com. Now, this site is a treasure trove of not only his online classes, but also many free resources. You'll find links to this site and others that Michael has created in our show notes at shrinkwrapradio.com. My name is Grant Strine, and I practice clinical psychology in Havertown, Pennsylvania. After months of listening to Dr. Dave's spectacular interviews and noticing their positive effects in my personal and professional lives, I felt moved to offer a small token of monetary support. Not only did this extinguish any lingering guilt about not supporting, it boosted my mood for days, and I was so happy and pleasantly surprised to get a kind and thoughtful return email from Dr. Dave himself. Now I feel a profound satisfaction for being part of the Shrink Wrap Radio community. Way to go, Grant. 
Thanks for taking the step to make yourself part of the Paying Shrink Wrap radio community. And of course, thank you to all you other monthly supporters. It feels so good to see your names as I scroll through the list of monthly donors preparing for each podcast. I'd like to hear from more of you listeners. I assume you all know that I produce a monthly newsletter, and at the end of each one, I like to highlight comments about a recent interview. However, I've not been getting many comments lately. If you hear something that touches you, please take the time to go to that interview on shrinkwrapradio.com, and you'll see an area right below that interview where you can post your comments. Once again, time to shrink wrap it up. Thanks again to my longtime friend, Michael Mayer, Ph.D., speaking about his book, The Path of a Reluctant Physician. I found his personal journey through Tai Chi, Qigong, and other modalities totally fascinating. Next week, my guest will be renowned U.K. expert Rob Kelly, Ph.D., on addiction. He is a renowned addiction expert born and raised in Manchester, UK, who is eccentric, no-holds-barred, successful, and places his patients first kind of man. He works to uncover the family chaos and dynamics to better resolve addiction. So until next time, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves, others, and to our precious earth. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.